Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. The Magic Five, custom fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Welcome to Swimming's Best Talk Show. Gonna learn all the things that Brett Hawk knows as he has a chat with his guests about what it takes to be the best. But the sport's about more than just best times. It's winning the battle against your mind. So listen in and let's take a dive with Brett Hawk as we go inside. All right, mate. I think we're on. Ben Tidley from Paris. How you doing, mate? Well, I'm actually in Paris. I'm actually in Spain right now, but I thought oh. Paris time was the easiest. I'm sure on my phone when you say what time zone you're in, Paris is the one that pops up. So I thought he might gotcha. know what that means. So oh, no, I'm makes... not in Paris. I wish I was in Paris. That'd be nice. Oh, you're in Spain. Not, not too bad. Yeah, no, mate. Beautiful. Just outside Barcelona. Um, yeah. Been down here now. Well, we've been in the south of France and then Barcelona. We had a week in Cannes and we've had about a week in Barcelona, San Cugat area. Mm. Just with four of the athletes who are doing some of the ISL. Some are just going to come straight in for the ISL, but some wanted to almost keep swimming between Tokyo and um, and the ISL. But, it, you know, not hard. We're just swimming once a day. We're lifting once a day. And then mm -hmm. the rest of the day, come 11 o'clock, the day's theirs to go do what they want to do, you know. So they've all been downtown Barcelona today. In fact, we had to go down to get COVID tests done before we oh. fly. So oh. it's sort of a break for them and sort of a training I don't know if it's, you know, if it's the best plan or the worst plan, but it's, you know, it's what we're trying. Like who, who's with you? Who's the names? So right now here in Barcelona, you've got Kylie Maas, um, Summer McIntosh, Sydney mm. Pickram and Finley Knox. Okay. So they're, they're the four that are here. All right. Well, it's a good group, but I mean, um, I mean, what about the letdown of Tokyo? Don't you feel like you need to just release completely? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I never really got that opportunity. I went home for a little bit, as in home to the UK, where my family's from, and um, mm. had a few days there. Okay. But geez, you know, I had to quarantine and do all of that stuff. So that wasn't the best. And then I flew down to the south of France. Now, that's where my wife's from. So, you know, that was whilst we were training every day, I also got to hang out with her and my stepdaughter mm. a little bit. And, and so it was a bit of a break. So it's it has been a strange one. I'm the sort of person, I'm sure you're the same, that if you give me three weeks off, I'm probably going to be bored after 
three, four days. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it isn't good for us to have those three, four weeks off. And I, I was thinking probably pre-pandemic, actually, I was thinking, right, once this next Olympics is out the way, I need a break. Wherever I'm working, I need to say to them, I need three months off, you know, like yeah. uh, I've been doing this now nonstop. In fact, there hasn't been a major meet that I haven't been on the national staff for since... Wow, oh, geez, man, you're probably talking 1997 would be the last time I wasn't wow. on a on a major summer team. Wow. And so um, I, I felt like I needed a break. But then the pandemic hit and, and we had a four-month break in Canada anyway. So strange as it might sound, that refreshed me a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I missed the pool deck. I wanted to get back to it. I missed the kids. I missed the mm-hmm. sort of daily challenge. And so whilst it was definitely not by design, um how how canada sort of managed that whole covid situation and is still managing i mean that they they do as good a job as with it as they can but man you know you're frustrated because you're out of the water and the rest of the world's back in swimming but when i look back i'm like you know what maybe maybe we needed maybe i needed a bit of a break and i did need a bit of a break so um no i haven't had a break yet and and i'm not going to get a break i'm going to the isl just for a week just to make sure that the the young the young girl summer's okay with everything, yep. and um, and then actually I go back to the UK for about a week, and then I go to Iceland for a for a clinic presentation type stuff, and I go to Poland. So because of COVID, I'm not going to be able to do. My original plan was to bounce back to the UK for about three nights, and um, that's not going to happen because I can't go to the UK for that short a time without incurring the wrath of the government. Yeah. So I'm actually, my plan at the moment is to stay in Iceland for an extra three days. And as, as weird as it might sound, those three extra days in Iceland, that's going to be my decompression. The phone's going to go off. The computer's going to go off. Someone like you can't reach me and then set this up on a, you know, a day's notice. So um, um, that's going to be my downtime. And then if I need a bit more when I get back, then we'll see what happens. I've got a great a great staff in Toronto with Ryan Millett and, and Johnny Fuller. And and if they need to, to cover a little bit, then they will. So we'll see how those three days in Iceland go. Mate, get yourself in one of those uh, natural hot springs, mate. Just sit there. Hey, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the plan, dude. That's the plan. I've been checking out how much that costs. It's bloody ridiculous. I don't know if Iceland's the most expensive place on the planet or if that's just to try and get a hotel room there. But, yeah, I'll try and get a higher car and rock up and get myself sitting in one of them natural springs yeah. for sure. That's what I'd do. But, uh, mate, I'm the same as you. I, I sent you a text, you know, a week ago, and, and then I heard you're on break, so I didn't bother, you know, following up. I like, let him go. And then you sent me a text today, and you were like, hey, let's do it today. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to have a break on Sunday, you know, and I'm sitting here, and then you, you text me, and I'm like, all right, let's do it. So then, And then next minute I'm talking to Fred Vernu, and Fred's like, Hey, you're gonna do it live? I'm like, ah, shit. Why not? Let's go live. So here we <laughs> yeah. are, Sunday live. I just, in, I, just got off, I got a text off, Fred. I mean, I'm, my phone only works here when I'm in Wi-Fi. So I just got back from dinner, right. and uh, I had a text from Fred ping through, and he says, "I'll see you online in a minute." And I'm thinking, <laughs> "What the hell is he talking about?" And then you say, "Yeah, we're gonna do it live." So anyway, that's all him. Uh, that's that's him. And uh, and we are live, and so we have we have people watching right now. James Guy is on, and he's he's asking. Can you tell the three dwarf joke? I don't know what that is, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't tell that joke. But um, I'll tell you when I see. Uh, it's, it's a good. It's a good joke. Yeah, let's save that joke. for the not the live show. 
no, no. I mean, we shouldn't talk about dwarfs in jest, you know, but um, mm -hmm. it is a pretty good joke. I'll just say Adam PT was involved. And I'll leave it at that. James Guy <laughs> knows what I'm talking about, but I'll leave it at that. Now, Fred Renew did say a couple of things. He he asked, um, why you why did you play mini golf in Kenai? That's one of the questions he had. The other yeah. one was uh yeah. pizza pizza in Budapest in 2006. He wanted to know all about that. Um, he wanted to know about the Japanese mafia in 2008. I don't know if you can talk about any of these stories, by the way. And then. Uh, and then he wants to know why you left left him sleeping in the kitchen at, at World Champs in 2007. So they're they <laughs> they all his questions. But well, that's a lot of questions I could speak about. Well, I can't remember a pizza in Budapest in 2006. Okay. <laughs> Fred will have to remind me on that one. I mean, I, I can tell you about the Japanese mafia story. I could tell you about me moving Fred's bed into the kitchen. And I've got a thing about moving beds. If I'm sharing a room with someone, right. I... Uh, I don't, you know, particularly in Europe, the beds are so close together. It just freaks me out. It's not, you know, two grown men. Hey, in lots of circumstances, that's what people mm. do. But it's not my thing to be sleeping so close to, you know, a big, even if they're good looking like Fred, it's not my thing to be sleeping so close. So I like to get in there first and move the beds around and try and create a little bit of space, a bit of interior design, I guess you could say. Fair and enough. it's so happened that for Fred, is he's got moved out into the kitchen. I've moved Bill Sweetenham out into the kitchen before at a World University Games, and I ripped out his face from, like, the uh, the manual, you know, and the, the, the team manual, and I stuck it on his pillow because he arrived later. And to be fair to him, he stayed in there, which I thought was pretty good. He could have pulled rank and kicked me out, but he's, he stayed he stayed there. So um, All quality stories, then. That's good. Yeah, well, there's a lot, mate. Yeah, the Japanese Mafia one, I thought for sure we were going to get in trouble with that one. But the Mafia, yeah. well, so we were in um, – Mate, my memory's not great. But we were in some Japanese city and it might have been Fukuoka or I don't know where it was, but there was me, there was, I believe, Sean Kelly, there was Fred, I believe Dave McNulty. And uh, yeah, you're going back a while. And we, we, we went out. I like to explore. We went out and visited some local establishments, you know mm. what I mean? And um, we ended up in this little noodle house or sushi house or whatever it was. And bit of banter, the, the table next to us, a couple of fellas, you know, Japanese, they couldn't really speak English, but we're giving it the konnichiwa and all that stuff. And um, anyway, they, they get up to leave or we get up to leave. They've already left. What, they already left? No, we gave them a pin badge. We gave them a couple of pin badges. That's what started off. And uh, when we got up to leave, the staff were like, no, 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 you're not paying. You don't have to pay. It's already been covered. And we're like, by who? And they're like, Yakuza, Yakuza. So the fellas next to us, they had like guns in their back pocket mm. and all that stuff. And we were sort of crapping ourselves for the rest of the night because <laughs> we weren't supposed to be out looking at different establishments, let's just say. And um, we'd given these guys pin badges and they'd rocked off with their guns. And we thought, man, something, if something pops off here and they, you know, take someone out, but they drop a pin badge at the scene. <laughs> this is gonna, this is gonna come back to haunt us a little bit. So, yeah, stuff like that, man. Swimming's great for the relationships and the friendship yep. and the experiences you get. It's a hard graft, you know. People, yep. I think a lot of people they they want to be involved in international swimming or they think that's going to be a dream for mm -hmm. them. It's gonna, but it's hard graft and it's those personal stories and those little things and me telling Jimmy Guy a good gag. It's things like that which will stick with people as, as they as they move through life to whatever stage of life they do next. And so I'm, I'm very grateful I've had all those opportunities, that's for sure. 
I agree with you, mate. It's a tough gig, you know. It, uh, you know, I did, I did the scene for ten years, and it just uh, it was a grind for me, man. I had to take a step back for a second, and then, you know, kind of sticking my head back in now, but not, not to the extent that you are traveling the world. It's, uh, it's definitely a tough grind, mate. But um, listen, you're regarded as one of the top coaches in the world because of the grind that you've gone through and the success that you've had. I mean, you're, you are incredible in terms of what you're doing on the international scene, and there's a lot of people that have huge amount of interest in in you and and how you're doing it and um so first of all congratulations mate another fantastic olympics another another fantastic campaign um you know we we talk about the end result but there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes mate this days and days of work and sleepless hours you know that you put into this thing so um you know just congrats on that first of all um and then uh you know, I, I did. I, I don't know you as well as your, your buddies, you know, like, uh, you know, the British guys or the Canadian guys or, you know, even some of the European people that you've traveled with. I know you from the outside, but I don't know you from the inside. So I, I have asked a couple of coaches to give me some ideas on you. So Fred was definitely one of those guys that wrote back to me and, and sent me some questions. James Gibson's another one. Um, you know, you coached him. I think he was the first British male world champ in 28 years. You were coaching him at the time. So James is uh, giving me some questions for you. Uh, Dave Marsh has popped his head in, give me some questions. And then also um, had a lot of good questions from Michael Ball. So uh, he, he woke up this morning and sent me some questions. So I'm going to let them, them speak uh, through this right now. So let's start with Fred. But Fred basically said, you know, your experience under Bill Sweetenham, you obviously you spent many years under, under him in, in England. What was that like and how did that shape you? I mean, I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for Bill. Um, and I think a lot of coaches who are successful on the world scene would say the same thing now. I mean, people like Gibbo and, and Mel Marshall probably didn't really coach. Well, in fact, they definitely didn't coach under Bill, but they were around the same system. And, and I'm not saying that everything was easy with Bill. It most definitely wasn't. His style is to challenge, is to to provoke is to try to get you to come up with the answers, I guess, and be strong enough of character to be able to, um, to explain why you do certain things. And that for me has probably stuck with me f throughout my whole career that I wouldn't do something in training even now that I couldn't explain to you why I'm doing it. If I can't right. explain it to you or to a hundred people or to a thousand people, why I'm doing something, then, then, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm what, we're just coming up and down for the sake of it. Um, so Bill was very, very tough on that respect. And, 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 and I've, I've got nothing but great things to say about Bill, but there was a lot of times where it was very, very challenging. And I think by design, um, there's stories I could tell you about, you know, going into Athens where we had to get up at 4am every morning and, and hand in a list of people who were swimming that day, mm. which to me made no sense because, we're then getting sleep deprived and, and stressed and everything else. But there was always a method to the mad listen. And I think it was very much something that if you could survive, and I know that sounds negative and I don't, I don't mean it in that way mm. because again, I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for bill, but if you could survive that regime, Dave McNulty did, I did, Sean Kelly did, Fred Venu did, um, then great things happened. And, and you had a foundation of coaching that was, was pretty rock solid. I think, at the time, there was a lot of older coaches, and let's just use Great Britain as an example, who didn't like to be challenged, who didn't want to um, 
explain why they were doing something or to explain it to a group of their maybe younger peers, you know? And um, I don't know, I never had a problem with that. I, I always felt that being challenged and um, being uncomfortable, I probably wouldn't have liked it as often as it happened. But again, you you find a way to survive and usually surviving is through laughter and through jokes and through, I remember Commonwealth Games in 2002, we used to play tag around the poolside in the warm-up. And then the joke was you couldn't let Bill get within 50 meters of you. So if if I'd done something and I knew he was trying to get me, you know, wherever he was, I'd be the polar opposite around the poolside. And I probably wasn't focusing on coaching as much as I should have. But it's little things like that, which you have a good time, you enjoy it, you, you, you build a camaraderie, I guess, with your fellow coaches. And, um, and I think that's very important in a team dynamic. It means that it's probably lonely being the guy at the top and I always used to say that to Bill that, look, you know, how can I help? Or how can I help you? Even mm. though you're supposed to be the one helping me, how can I help you? Because that person doesn't always have the that camaraderie or that banter. There's sometimes that little bit of a divide between the two, between, say, a performance director and the coaches. And, um, yeah, but but Bill certainly challenged me to 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 you know he said that if you're if you're good enough you're old enough. I think my first national team with Bill was a World Championships. I was on the World Champ staff, and uh, I think I was 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. Like I was head coach of the Olympic team when I was 31 in in Britain. Um, wow, God. And, and things like that. So it's you were given opportunities at a very young age and I made a lot of mistakes. Geez, I could tell you a whole podcast about mistakes that I've made that I've learned from yeah. uh, through that. You know, I could explain that if we wanted to stick with the, with the bill years that in 2004, I didn't have a great Olympics. Gibbo, you mentioned Mel, you mentioned they, they were ranked in the top three in the world. And I truly believe they should have and could have won medals at that Olympics, but I didn't have the experience yet or the strength of character maybe to, to say no in certain situations, you know, and it's mm. not making excuses. I should now I'd handle it differently. But back then mm. I didn't have that. You know, the water in the pool we were training in in Cyprus was, I think, 30. It was either 31 or 33 degrees, whatever it was. It was way too hot. But it was my first Olympics under Bill and I wanted to impress him. And the swimmers were swimming fast. And so I go faster, go harder, bigger set, push it on. And um, and that was a mistake. By the time we got the Olympics, we were exhausted mentally, physically. We were fried, mm -hmm. uh, literally fried from that pool. And, um, you know, given my time again, I, I'd have a different reaction. We'd swim way lower level. We'd get out for two, three minutes between sets if that was the situation we found ourselves in. Mm. But at the time, I didn't have that. And so um, and that's no one's fault except Father Time. And um you know, so we're all a product of our environment. We, we all learn from, we probably, the, the best of us learn more from the mistakes that we make mm -hmm. than the things that we do well. In fact, the things that we do well, we probably forget about pretty quickly. And it's the results that, that you know, Liam Tancock missing numerous Olympic medals by hundreds of a second that burn with us. Lizzie Simmons swimming fast enough to win an Olympic medal if the Olympics was four years later in 2000, in 2016, but in 2012, her time got a fourth. Fran Halsall missing by hundredths of a second. Penny Alexiak, this Olympics, missing by seven one hundredths maybe on the bronze medal through a pretty poor turn, but a great rest of the... Swam her best time. 
but missed by nothing. Our women's four by 200 freestyle relay at this Olympics. We broke the national record. We had a 14 year old lead off in 155. We had kids do 155 splits whose best times are 157. But the three teams that beat us broke the world record. Like yet, you're not always in control necessarily of, of the result. You can be a lot more in control of the performance. Um, but I think it's those performances that we miss, we remember more than the ones that win. You know, I couldn't well, tell yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what Maggie McNeil's winning time was in the hundred fly to the hundredth of a second. I couldn't tell you, but I can tell you Penny missed by seven one hundredths of a second. Hope I've got my stats right, otherwise I'll look like a tool. But um yeah. No, well said. Well said uh, on that. I, I couldn't agree more with all of the things you just said there. Uh, I've gone through many of the same experiences and feel like those things have shaped me you know, very similarly as well. And, and I had a little bit of time with Bill Sweetenham back uh, when I was a swimmer in Australia, and, and he had a great influence on me for a very short period of time as well. So I, I've been fortunate in that respect, and he challenged me the same way. So uh, he gives it to everybody. But um, one of the things Gibbo said uh, is that you do like to have – control of your program you know like he said uh, a couple of things he said you're exceptional at writing workouts um he said you have very high expectations your sessions are really engaging um but you do like to have control of all the different pieces is that correct i would say it's very correct yeah right so talk to me about some of those things what does that what do those things mean and how did they develop over time you mean, I mean, Gibbo probably said I was a control freak. I don't know what he was, you've worded it probably a lot, lot nicer than he would have. And, and um, I'm so proud of how Gibbo's developed as a, as a coach and a, and a man now, you know, he's, he's the best. And um, I agree. Yes, I guess I, I do like to, to, to have control of a workout things run. And even from when Gibbo was, was swimming with me, things now would be like light speed compared to Fred Flintstone mobile. Um, in terms of how a workout runs and progresses through, you'd have to chat to more like a Kylie Maas or a Penny or a, a Maggie or a, you know, whoever it might be to explain how things work. Yeah, I have a lot of general philosophies that I stick by. Some of them, and actually spoke about them with a coach today, some of them are that we don't take a lot of rest between sets. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we kind of keep things moving. We do use a lot of equipment. Mm -hmm. We actually probably swim more volume than what people think that that my program does. Um, we swim fast all the time. We swim right. fast every session. That doesn't mean to fatigue every session. We probably have three, depending on who you are, four main workouts a week, probably three. But then the workouts that aren't classed main workouts, you still might have you know, 400 meters of race pace type work or X number of starts or turns or filming or skill development or a max kick set and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so yes, to answer your question, which I can't really remember what it was, I, I do like to have control of a workout, but then yep. again, I'm kind of of the belief and it's a well-known phrase that you're either coaching something to happen or you're allowing it to happen. And so if there's something in the workout, which isn't good, well, well, that's my fault. It's not the athlete's fault. It's my fault. I'm letting something happen which which shouldn't be happening. And so that might come across sometimes as being in control, mm -hmm. but it's also not letting something that's not right fester. And right. Um, 
I think my, my, my assistant coach in Toronto, a guy called Ryan Mallette, who was a huge help to us this last couple of years, he, um, I think he did an interview with a, with a newspaper or some, something in Montreal. He speaks French pretty good. And, um, and they asked something and one of his answers to the question was what have you learned from Ben or what's something you take away from working with Ben? And he said, well, he, he deals with things straight away and he, he doesn't let things fester. And that can be seen by some people to be impulsive. It can be seen by some people to be rushed. I try now, particularly back to, to when Gibbo was swimming, I think I'm 10 times more calm to a certain extent and I, I appreciate the person and the individual a lot more than I did back then, um, which I think has really helped my coaching. But again, it's father time that helps you with that. But that that dealing with something in the moment, if someone's upset, I'm dealing with it there and then. I could give you examples at this last Olympics, but I won't because they're more private conversations with female athletes who were mm -hmm. maybe having you know, doubts about how they were going to do or about where they fit in the scheme of the team and my focus and everything else. And rather than letting them swim the session, I, I, I pulled them aside. I'll go into a drugs testing room somewhere. I'd move chairs out the way. I'd close the door and I'd sit and chat to that person for 30 minutes and until we were on the same page again. And I wouldn't wait and I wouldn't let things fester. And again, that that can be seen sometimes as, as, as impulsive, but I just think that, you know, we don't have times probably our most valuable commodity that we have. And why am I going to let something go when I could deal with it there? And then again, it's not to say hundred percent of the time, that's the best way to do it, but more often than not, I found that it is. So, yeah. Well, uh, this is going better than I thought. You see, my impression of you is you're a lot more quiet and reserved and, not secretive, but you know, you hold your cards close to your chest, and that's not the impression I'm getting right now. You're very no, open, very you, honest. Mate, you'd be 180 degrees wrong. I don't yeah. think there's a more I would share any sets, any coaching ideas, any information of what I do with swimmers or how I like to interact with people or the mistakes that I've made. Mm -hmm. I think more than anyone. And I actually think, you know, on a pool side, if there's a coach who coaches with more energy than me. I haven't yeah. met him. That's not to say that, you know, Dean Boxall wouldn't give me a good run for his money, but I, have, I haven't met him. I haven't met anyone on a pool side who, once they get to a pool at a competition, is here, there, and everywhere. You know, we had 11 swimmers on the team at this at this last Olympics. That's a lot of people mm -hmm. from the program to, to be managing. And again, I had good support, but from the psychological aspect, you've got to have a lot of energy every session. So, yeah, if your if your thought process about me was the one of reserved and quiet, you're probably a hundred and eighty yeah. degrees wrong. Yeah. No, I screwed that one up. So I'm I'm glad it's the other way. But uh, actually, I, thought, I thought you were good looking until I saw this high definition, and then I've realized. Yeah, no, 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 no. way way wrong, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jonty Skinner did uh, put in a little comment. He said you're very neural based. What does that mean? Yeah, I've gone through well for Jonty. That will mean so. Uh, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of smart people over the years, you know, from, right. from Bill to Tim Kerrison to John T. Skinner to uh, Bob Trafine, a whole load of coaches from other sports who you wouldn't even know, um, great swimming coaches and, and everything else. So there's been different phases in my career where different, whether it be a book, you know, Matt Walker's book about sleep changed the way I looked at recovery, changed the way we actually do training times now 
I can get into that at some point if you want. It changed the number of sessions I do a week. It, you know, hanging out with Jonty, there was, I can't remember the name of the book, so I'm, I apologize, Jonty, but uh, I think Jonty got me a signed copy of it. But it was one of those books, not the 10,000 hour one, but it was one of the neuromuscular type, you know, mm -hmm. time at task on something and the right. thought processes. And this is going back to probably your times of your Liam Tancocks and your Fran Halsalls. It would have been just after Gibbo, probably. And so a lot of the training I did was based around feel for the water about not visualization per se on the poolside and meditation, not that, but playing with variables of, of technique, of kit, of equipment, of going under the water. So you're in an aquatic environment, mm. visualizing what it is you want to do and then do a 25 and then stop and go under the water and go through it again. What does it look like? So there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, I probably don't do as much of that now. But that's not to say there isn't elements of that have maybe fed into what I tried to do. Um, but yeah, hanging out with John T was a great time. And he really made me, John T's really into the sort of technical aspect and how you think about things. One of my biggest John T memories was he couldn't believe how much quality we we did in a workout. And so let's mm -hmm. say, if it's a, you know, my Monday night is usually a speed, what I call just a speed race pace workout. Maybe we'll do some sort of removal set afterwards, but the main quality will be speed production race pace. And we'll get up to a thousand meters, 1200 meters of hundred meter or faster uh, quality work. Now that doesn't mean it's all swim. It could be kicking, pulling, fins and paddles, fins, underwater, whatever it might be. But I remember the physiologists would be like, well, you can't do that much. And I'm like, well, You've just seen it happen. I've just done it. And um, and I, I think that, you know, John T from that perspective helped me a little bit because it almost should be the role of the coach. Not that John T is a physiologist, but and if you are qualified as a, as a physiologist, John T, I apologize. But, you know, it's almost the role of the coach to to prove the physiologists wrong that, well, we can do more than you think or this actually kids can recover whilst doing this sort of work. Um, and so I like being around those smart people who make me think and, you know, Bob Trafine, um, made me think a little bit when I had swimmers like Caitlin McClatchy, who won Commonwealth's 200 free, 400 free, who won a medal at Worlds, 400 free, Mel Marshall at the time doing 200 frees, 200 backs, made me think about sets from a more Australian heart rate type mentality. And my sets have probably morphed a little bit now on the whole, um, and maybe you get an athlete like a summer Macintosh and you and you go back to some of that work with some of the more race pace ideas, I guess, that I've developed over the last 10 years mixed in. But, um, oh, man, I've been super lucky to be around people like John T and some of those people I've mentioned. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, a lot of questions on the way that you coach women. I mean, you've obviously had a lot of success and the women uh, are being – got a female kind of dominant squad as well um a question here from michael ball he says how do you set up your female dominant squad in quality sets and does it get heated at times how do you manage that i mean bowley would know this better than me bowley's i think one of the best coaches in the world um yeah. I wouldn't say it gets heated. I think it, I think that just depends on the personalities that you have. When I think about my time in Canada with the female athletes, 
you know, someone like a, a Penny when she was 12 or 13 had people like a Chantelle Van Landingham, a Sandrine Mainville, a Michelle Williams, who became her teammates on winning medals in the relays, Taylor Rooks, to, to sort of chase and learn from and, and change their perception of what's fast. If, you, if you're a talented kid who's, and there's talent everywhere, but if you're a talented kid who's isolated from um, you know, from everything, really, you don't really understand what fast is. And that can be an advantage if your mindset is one where you don't want, well, you know, where you want to be the queen bee, where you don't want to be challenged every day in practice. But if your mentality is one where you're okay with being challenged, and you're going to try to, you know, initially get closer and then be level and then to be the winner. If your mindset comes from that perspective, being around other great swimmers is, is the best thing. And I'm sure Bowley has that in Australia in, in his group, whether it be men and women or people chasing. Back then, the 2012 to 2016 cycle for the Canadian women, really our strength wasn't individuals, or we didn't think so at the time. We, we you know, Penny, not saying Penny came out of nowhere. She was on a very fast track um, to success, I guess. But our thought process was that if we had a chance of winning anything, it was going to be, you know, strength in depth, not through having standout stars. And so the relay was kind of the main thing, that relay mentality. And I tried to have the same thing in, in Britain. Again, I didn't have the experience that I've got now to really make it work, I think, quite as well as it could have. Um, but that was a very supportive environment where people just chased and everything else. It gets more challenging when people are then shooting for the same individual spots. Who gets the individual? Who doesn't? What decisions do you have to make? You know, Penny at this Olympics, we decided it wasn't worth doing the 100 fly, not because I didn't think she could win a medal, although in the end that race was so, so damn fast that it would have been tough for her. Yeah. Um, but because you've got to sort of pick your you got to pick your poisons, you know, you got to pick what you're going to got the best chance of success in. And um, in this last sort of 12, no, 12, I guess, 18 months to two years when you've got Penny, Taylor, Sydney, Kylie, Maggie, Rebecca Smith, Kyla Sanchez, a lot of them all shooting for the same events that can get more tricky and it does become about communication and coaching is about communication. We don't always have them do the same sets at the same time. Some people, for example, on a Wednesday would do their heart rate race pace set in the morning, some long course. Some people might do it short course in the evening. The next week that might flip flop. There might be times when, let's say on a Monday, when we're doing our main speed workout, that because this year we had a few too many people for my liking, if I'm being honest, to coach, that um, let's say you're doing this, maybe the main set lasts for an hour. Mm. Um, but you'd split them into three groups and one group would go, you know, fast five minutes. And that might be the sprint boys doing three max fifties on two minutes, two minutes, and one minute, because it doesn't matter. They then have 10 minutes of recovery or technique work. Group two might be some of the 200 women and they may be doing, 450s at back end 100 pace on 115 or 550s at 200 pace on a minute or some of Macintosh might be doing four 100s on 115 trying to hold 400 pace um, and then they have 10 minutes recovery and they cycle through so it's not like all of the girls are doing the same thing against each other every session you know but occasionally maybe you delay when you give the time so the person who's swimming easy are laying over he is you know pick a time Carla Sanchez, 25.5, and Penny knows that her quickest so far has been 25.9. And whilst you don't have that conversation with her, 
you're communicating in a non-direct way, hey, this is what's happening. And people either choose and great athletes like a Penny or like a Kyler or, you know, Maggie going head to head with um, with Kylie Mars, for example, on, on backstroke pace work. I mean, it's just mind blowing some of the times that they do. And I'm sure Bowley's seen the same. So it's it's using the environment, using those great athletes to challenge each other. But understand that you can't do it every session, every day. They also all have their own strengths. Some might be a great, you know, Penny, for example, has challenges physically, which means that her kick sometimes is, you know, able to be good, but most of the time it's it needs to be modified. But she's an awesome puller. Um, Caitlin McClatchy was an amazing kicker. You know, she'd kick 60 seven or something on a board flutter kick um so usually and in, in, in toronto you know maggie's great underwaters um someone else might not be but someone else is better a kick or someone else is better a pull so everybody kind of has their moment in the sun if you like to be a winner um and it's just playing with the variables of training to make sure everybody gets a little bit of win but everybody also gets a little bit of challenge and well geez i need to be a bit better at that so I don't know if that answered your question for Bowley, and Bowley's probably yeah. thinking this guy's sitting in the misty haze of whatever this Barcelona hotel is, uh, is talking rubbish. But um, it's all communication, it's all individuals, yeah. and and it's all variables, I guess. Yeah, no, no, it, it does answer the question, and and I got some other topics. So um, one of the topics that comes up is you know obviously the from our perspective on the outside looking in, I don't know yours, so this this is your perspective. Why are the Canadian women so dominant and the men are struggling? Um, I mean, I'm going to be a bit political here. I wouldn't say the men are struggling. I mean, we've got, I've got a you know, kid called Josh Liendo who at 18 is going 48-1 for 100 free. And Talk to me about him. For 100 free. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. He's also been swimming with us since he was about 14. He, he came in two or three times a week when he was 14. Mm. 15 and then when he was 16 17 him and his his coach sort of moved in and helped be my assistant unfortunately murray murray drudge fabulous human being passed away early doors in the in the whole covid scenario um but see someone like him is awesome someone like finley knox who's with us here he didn't quite have the olympics he wanted he was on the wrong side of a touch and i think if he'd been a tenth quicker in that he would be in the final he has the capabilities to for sure and he will do in the future um we brent hayden you know i mean what a master class of an old guy stepping up and just doing yeah. the business so yeah. we do we just don't have the depth in the men and, and and i don't want to say it's because i haven't coached the men we haven't had that many men come to swim with me or i haven't really sought out the men to swim here and often in canada people just stay where they're at it's the same around the world people don't want to move programs or coaches are quite protective of the athletes they have there's a couple of men in canada who i think uh, we could help be top three in the world in a relatively short space of time but whether or not those you know decisions are made to and then maybe it doesn't suit them maybe their goals are more educational maybe their goals are staying closer to home or whatever it may be but with the women i I had more success in not even convincing, but, you know, with a Sandrin, with a moving from Quebec to come to Toronto, with a Chantel coming from Winnipeg or Georgia, you know, in the summers for the first year or two to swim with us. That just started the ball rolling with that whole dynamic. And um, 
and we got the success with that early doors. And then, you know, the, the ball kind of keeps rolling. I think I've coached the last now three world junior record holders for 100 freestyle women's short course, and they're, they're all from Canada. And I think that one thing just rolls into the next, rolls into the next. And it isn't that I'm necessarily some, you know, genius coach. I think it's as much about the environment you create and what those athletes see as being possible. You know, Penny winning Olympics at the age of 16 shows Taylor Rook that at the age of 18, she can win eight medals at the Commonwealth Games. That in turn shows Kyla Sanchez, she can be a world junior record holder. That mm. in turn shows Summer McIntosh that just because she's 14 doesn't mean she can't give it to Ledecky and Titmus on the first 150 of a 400 free. Now she might not be able to finish it off yet, but that confidence in that, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier with, with the Bills phrase with my coaching, you know, mm. if you're, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And, um, geez, if they're good enough, they're old enough. If they get yeah. stuck in and their mindset changes of what's normal or what's possible, that for me is, you know, 10 times stronger than the training sets they do or, you know, what they can lift in the gym. It's the right. mind. It's, it's I, agree. I agree, mate. I agree. Um, let's dig into a couple of swimmers then. Um, you mentioned Penny Alexiak. You had this incredible success with her in 16. She goes on to win the Olympics. Um, you know, I, I kind of liken it to the way that Caesar and I, our, our relationship developed. It came on very strong. We had success early. Uh, it sounds like you you had some struggles, you know, between 16 and 21. I don't know when the struggle started, but there were some struggles. But you seem to pull it back, unlike me, where uh, Caesar and I broke up and he went and swam with someone else and just never it never came together again but you seem to be able to pull it back and get her back to her best again and get her back on the podium again what were the struggles that you went through and how were you able to kind of pull those things back into contention yeah well i'm probably not going to get into that too much just because uh, you know a lot of those struggles or a lot of those those um events they're not my story to tell you right. know right. so um but yeah, I mean, Penny obviously had the success in 16. In 17, she kept doing it. But it's, you know, in 18, she decided she she wanted to change. She wanted to swim somewhere else. And, and and I'm the sort of person that I'll deal with whatever's in front of me. If I've got three, my favorite year of coaching, Brett, was 2018. Not because Penny wasn't there, but I had three slash four. We got a male in later on who was great for the girls. But I had three swimmers to work with, Taylor Rook, um, Kyla Sanchez, Rebecca Smith, and they became faster than, than Penny, you know, that in, in that year that she was away from the program and Penny maybe realized some things, um, that whilst not always comfortable, are better for her from a performance point of view. And she had the strength of character to come back and ask if she could come back and swim with us. And the door was never closed. It's never closed for anybody as long as they're respectful and everything else um, on, on us working with them. So, um, but I think in Penny's defense from, from the year of struggles, you got to put yourself in the, in the situation of a, a young girl who went from no one knowing her name, and, and I'll use Canada just as an example, mm. to her probably being, if not the most famous sports female that year, in the top two or three. Right. Uh, you know, she couldn't go to a restaurant. She couldn't go to a – she couldn't walk down the street. I actually bought Liam Tancock out to have dinner with her that year and uh, and to – well, he worked with us on Underwaters and stuff like that. But I, but I wanted him to go for a, a talk with Penny, and he came back and he – 
And the feedback he gave me still sticks with me was that, well, you've got to understand that for a young person, you might have a conversation and say, you know, it's only 12 months to the next world chat, or it's only four years to the next Olympics. And mm -hmm. it's this and it's that. And to me and you, you know, guys in our in our forties or whatever, you four years is nothing, goes in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, time goes too fast. For a 16-year-old, four years ago, they were 12. The world's a different place in four years' time. Six months is a is a is a long time period for a for a young person. Right. Young Summer McIntosh, geez, she's 14. Actually, she just turned 15, but she she was 13 when she came into our program. And well, she's next. Year, I want to get on her next. Just okay, well, but, but my point being for young people, time is everything is relative to where you're at. And for right. a 14 year old, 16 year old, speaking about things, you know, down the line is, is yeah. probably overwhelming because they're like, geez, 12 years ago, I was still in, you know, primary school or whatever it would be. Right. So and and then you think about the age that Penny achieved success at 16. Think about what happens to young women from the age of 16 to to now today when she's 21. For sure. That is when everything happens. That is when puberty, well, not everybody, but puberty happens. That is when um, they learn to drive. That is when they get boyfriends or girlfriends. It's when they break up from boyfriends, girlfriends. It's when they have their most important school exams. Right. It's when when they learn to drive it's when they get their first apartment leave home for the first time like all of that stuff happens in that in age. australia you're allowed to have a drink for the first time <laughs> well there you go I, I don't want to get involved in those sorts of discussions but mm. a lot of stuff happens in that yeah. time period and, and it's a challenge for anybody who's that age let alone someone who's an elite athlete right. let alone someone who is then in the public eye trying to do it so mm. again we're a product of our environment. We we learn as we go along, and we improve hopefully as we go along, and that's what that's what she's done. And she's a different human being. Penny is a different human being now than she was back then. That's just the reality of it, physically and mentally. Hundred percent. Um, appreciate you sharing that. Give us a Penny Alexiak set then. Just just something that she maybe does on a regular basis, or something she's done in the past that is really that you think helps her. 100 freestyle for instance i don't think i could give you a set i never do the same set or very rarely do i do the same set twice wow okay Only, very rarely i mean oh. again, i've been doing i've got like 30 workouts i've just been cutting and pasting onto a powerpoint presentation for the polish dudes and it's been a pain in the ass but um so i couldn't give you a set I could, if you ask me more, some a Macintosh one later, I'll give you a set. But a penny, I would say that again, it's individual. She likes, she responds more to pulling. She likes pulling. She likes pull paddles. She likes right. swim paddles. All of our girls actually like, except some, like like pull paddles. They like swim paddles. They like to be powerful. They like to be fast. They like to progress down. I mean, they get down to like two fifty nines for three hundred short course meters swim paddles they they'll do penny will push pull you know we'll do a little sometimes on a thursday before we go into the main aerobic set we'll do some quality where they'll let's say get out and go on the swim bench not for very long they'll maybe go 10 seconds max 15 seconds rest 10 seconds max 15 seconds rest 10 seconds max 45 seconds to get into the pool get their gear on refocus max 50 pull paddles and penny gets into the 26s long course on on pull paddle 50s um 
So she's probably the best pull paddle swimmer that I've ever coached. So that's probably what she'd do really, really well at. She'd do, uh, she'd do well on long course swim, 50s, race pace. Again, not the best I've, I've coached, not the best I've, I've, I've trained. But Penny's biggest strength is, is racing. This is a girl mm -hmm. who has – and again, I might be wrong on this, but this is what I said to her, and she liked it, so I'll stick with it without delving too deep into the actual stats of it. You know, why let the truth get in the way of a good story? That every time, every time she's done or swam individually in an Olympic final – She's done her best time. This year in the 200 free, she did her best time. This year in the 100 free, she did her best time. Mm. When she won the gold medal, best time. Mm. When she got silver in the 100 fly in 16, best time. I mean, that's impressive. I don't know too many athletes who could say that that's what they've done every single time they've swum in an Olympic final. Mm -hmm. So that, that competitive nature, she sort of switches on. I wish she'd switch on three years before the Olympics as opposed to three months before the Olympics. And I hope with, again, with time, with age, with maturity, with understanding what's possible, maybe she'll get closer to that. But she's as good a competitor as you will ever meet. And I think that gives girls who are in a relay with her, for example, that gives them confidence that they know she's going to turn up and do a great job. Um, you know, Kyla Sanchez does the same in, in the relays. Unbelievable how well, these girls do but but penny i think is as good a competitor when when the pressure is on and when she wants to be good she's as good a competitor as i've ever ever been around and that's not to say she'll win every race but right. it's to say she'll do her best in that race when the pressure is on right yeah yeah i i do love those athletes um they're great on race day they're frustrating during training but they're great on race day that's for damn sure but um talk to me then about um Simon McIntosh, I just did a uh, podcast with Ariane Titmus, and you know it seemed like Dean and and her, even herself had an awareness of kind of her progression of where she was headed. It seems like summer, you know, maybe a little bit earlier than than Ariane, but it seems like she's on a progression of getting to that point where she's comp competing for gold medals very soon. So, what's that progression been like? T talk to us about her. I don't really know much about her. She's unbelievable. Right? She's unbelievable. For a 14-year-old, I guess we should start saying she was a birthday like three days ago or something. Um, I mean, she came into our program as a, a very fast 13-year-old. She was 417, 400 free. She was 203, 200 free, I think. So she was pretty fast. Um, but the speed of her progression has been mind-blowing. And again, I think part mm. of it is due to coaching. A lot of it is just due to her. Uh, a lot of it is because of the environment she was in again with those girls chasing, racing. She does completely different sets most of the time, but there'll be times when she's doing race pace against those in inverted commas, faster girls or older girls. And um, again, your perception of what's normal changes. And um, she's got the mentality of, She's very focused. She's very driven. Um, she loves hard work. I still saying that she the set she did today, she didn't quite finish it the way I wanted to. But to be fair, she's just had two weeks off and been swimming for like five days. <laughs> the, um, uh, I haven't been able to really, sounds terrible, not break her, right? But, but whatever set I throw at her, she'll do an awesome job on 
99% of the time. And mm. uh, that's great fun as a coach. You can throw stuff at her that's just, I mean, mine, if I was to show you some of the sets she did, mind blowing. And you mentioned, give me one, man. come on, give me a set. Um, so she'll do sets like your traditional Australian heart rate type sets, you know, 27 100s on 140. One week it might be best average. The next week it might be seven best average, two strong kick. The next mm -hmm. week it might be, instead of it being hundreds, Fred Vanu, for example, gave me the basis of a, of a set where it was initially she'd go eight rounds. The first set, well, we actually always start stuff. It's a Dennis Cottrell thing back in the day, but we'll always start a main set with something fast, something that puts some lactate into the body. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe she'll do a dive. 200 with fins that has to be even split 58 58 for like a 156 or a 157 when you combine the, the tenths and um and then she'll go into say eight rounds of 150 on two minutes a 50 at 200 pace on a minute and then she'll have 100 easy and then six rounds through of the 150 and the 50 then 100 easy then four rounds through of the 150 and the 50 and the 50s are always at 200 race pace and the 150s in my terminology go from 20 below 10 to 20 below, 10 below on the last set. And she'll go from like 136s with 28 points to 135, 4s, let's say, 4s to, to 28 points to 132s to 28 points. And there's no easy between those 28 points. You're straight back into 150 again. Maybe that round of 8 on 2 minutes, the round of 6 is on 215, and the round of 4 is on 230. But you're talking there, 612, that's 3,600 unless I'm making that up, that's 3,600 meters of, of quality work plus the 200 at the start. You're almost up to four grand mm. by the time you include a couple of pace 50s of fast stuff, you know, just straight in. She did a, a what I call a soft heart rate set, three rounds through. I like the number three. Three is the magic number. You know that De La Soul song? Three is the magic number. Even if you chat to a gib or anyone, they'll probably say, I remember him always doing three sets. And the reason I do three times of anything you know, whether it's three weight sessions a week, most people, whether it's three quality sets, whether it's three sets within a quality set, mm -hmm. is because psychologically, as long as you get after that first go, you know, well, then you can almost use, you just say, well, you just got to get through round two. You know, the last set's taken care of itself. You're going to finish it strong. Right. Um, so you can kind of get through things that way. So she went through three sets of seven short course meters, so I apologize to all your American buddies there who live in a different world than the rest of us get with the program. But anyway, short course meters. I like training short course yards. Actually, I think it's pretty good. My training camps when we go to Florida, when we're allowed with COVID and stuff, some of the best weeks training we ever do with the mix of long course and short course. And um, But she'd go three rounds through of seven 100s freestyle on 120, holding um, so relatively short rest on 120, holding around that. 10 to 20 below type um, effort. Oh, was it 20 to 30 below? Anyway, she'd hold like 102s average short course meters, which isn't amazing, but it's it's decent. Then she'd have a 50 recovery on 120. And then she'd go a 300 on 330 that had to be um, what we call 10 below to best. And I think she averaged 102s on the hundreds. And then she went 305, 305, 304 on the three 100. So seven ones. 50 easy, a 300, I think a 200 easy, three rounds through. And again, you're talking that's seven ones plus a 300, that's 3,000 meters of 
stuff which is no slower than 102s, even the 300s going 305, you're averaging 101s. Um, and for a 14-year-old doing stuff like that, I think is is pretty impressive. So, I mean, I don't know if those sets made any sense whatsoever. Yeah, no, they make perfect sense, mate. I love it. It seemed like Dean Boxall had a plan to come at Kei Ledecky in a way that, you know, the progression was there. You know, it sounds it sounds like for you, you know, going from 417 at 13 to 402 at 14, sounds like the progression is to now come at um, Ariane Titmus, you know, like within the next year or two. Is that kind of where you guys are headed? Is like, okay, you know, we're, we're going for, for that now? I mean, not not really anything focused on Ariane, to be honest. I, I, I don't think I ever really chat to swimmers about you know, not specifically about beating other swimmers. I just say, look, why why should someone be better than you? Right. Yeah, I wouldn't mention her by name, but why should someone be better than you? And I think that's why when you then see the fearlessness to a certain extent that someone like a summer races with when, you know, in the heats of that 403, she was a body length up on Landecki at, at the at the 150. Now she's not as strong and as fast as those girls yet. And and I don't expect the progression to keep, you know, what's she going to do? 417, 402, 447. Do you know what I mean? That the maths doesn't work that way. Progression is yeah. not linear. And again, Summer's going to have to go through those challenges that we spoke about with Penny, that she went through just from being a young a young girl to turning into being a young woman. Mm -hmm. So, um, look, she she wants to get better. She likes to be challenged. She will try to race those girls to the best of her ability. We didn't go into Tokyo thinking necessarily she was she could win a medal. We thought she could swim faster than she had. You know, her 405 going in was just in a time trial against no one. She hadn't had a race really that year. So um no, we don't we don't target going for those gold medals or, or beating a an Ariane or a you know Miss Ledecky or whoever it may be, but you keep getting faster, you keep doing your stuff, right. then you're you're gonna very quickly find yourself in a position where you are in in that race as opposed to racing the, the young Chinese lady for the bronze medal, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. imagine, if, imagine if young summer had, and the young Chinese girl did fabulous. I remember chatting to her maybe three or four years ago when she was sort of a young prodigy and she yeah. disappeared out. I say chat to her, you know, Ni hao, konnichiwa. Oh, look, ask Japanese Ben sorted out. But anyway, I actually chatted to her a few times at this meeting. And, and um, I mean, she did great. You know, yeah. she did great. I, I, I wish, that she maybe she hadn't so young summer could have got a medal under her belt early doors but that that wasn't the way it was meant to be summer mcintosh in her two olympic finals led off the relay in a best time 155 and went a best time in the final of the 400 freestyle 402 low right. you can't do more than than your best and progressing and that's what she's been doing to this point and and i hope that it it continues i'm sure there might be some bumps along the way as there will be for any any elite athlete, particularly young female athletes, but um, man, she's a great character and she's got a great future. If if swimming is what she wants to spend her time doing, yeah. Listen, mass massive swims in Tokyo. In terms of your group structure, how is it set up so that you can keep your athletes where they are with you? You know, obviously, it sounds like there may be some conflict with not college swimming. 
you know, like the, the lure to go to America and pick up a scholarship and swim in a team. What's the, what's the balance there? How do you feel about college swimming? How do you keep your swimmers in your group? We, we, it's, it's tough, Brad. It's very, very tough in Toronto where we're based. We have a beautiful facility. We have great support from swimming Canada, swim Ontario. T-Pask is the facility we train at and it's as good as anywhere in the world. I haven't been to anywhere better. I don't know if you've ever been to it, but um, beautiful. Yeah. And, and we get great support. You know, Raphael is a good friend of mine. He's the manager of the whole place that we get a lot of support. And, um, and we are attached to a university to a certain extent, University of Toronto, Scarborough campus. See, we're about, well, without traffic, a 30-minute drive from, from downtown, 20 minutes, 25 minutes maybe without traffic. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever lived in a big city, give me giving you travel times without traffic is irrelevant. You know what I mean? It could take you an hour, in, in an hour and 15 in rush hour. So kids can't really swim at the center and study downtown which is where they all want to study that's the main campus that's where the action is hell if i was a kid i'd want to study down there Mm. but if i was a kid that wanted to swim you'd have to make maybe a slightly different decision and um and no one really yet we've actually got a couple who are maybe going down this path of of studying at the scarborough campus which is just across the road beautiful campus but people historically it's never happened so that's why when i came to canada and and you know some club coaches were a bit put out you know Kids shouldn't be swimming in the center at, you know, 13 for Penny or 15 for Rebecca Smith or 14 for Kyla Sanchez. They should be in the clubs. They should be with their friends. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I would like to think that history now has shown that that is a pretty archaic way of thinking. But the reason that I had to go to kids younger is because they either didn't have this. You'd lose them. They didn't either. They either didn't have the skill set, the power, the speed, the, the the focus. By the time they got to seventeen, eighteen, for me to be able to make a real change, mm. or by the time they got to that age, they disappeared off to university in the U.S. and you never saw them again. And I could give you numerous and you know nothing against the university program in the U.S. It provides a fabulous service for a huge amount of people, and they've got great coaches in that system. But it's different than focusing on senior international swimming. It just is. Um, you're focusing on a short course, yards, competition in March, hell, even February. For some schools, their their conference meets are more important than what the NC2As are, you know, for the coaches' bonuses or the level their kids are at or whatever it may be. Well, that's different to comparing or preparing for a meet that is in July of that year. Um just a personal preference. That's not to say, kid. You know, Maggie McNeil did fabulous off swimming in Michigan. That's that's you know, there's examples. You can always give examples of, of greatness. But I, I well, do. What's f- the Maggie McNeil connection with you? Where where is it start and end? I, I don't know that connection. Well, she swam with us for probably. Uh, my memory is not the best, but in the in 2020 when COVID was sort of struck and everything else, she swam with us for quite a while through the summer. Right. Um, when she was back in Canada for a couple of months. And then she swam with us from the end of March, March, after NC2A, she swam with us all the way through, all the way through April, May, June, July um, in the program in Toronto. So that's the way it works for her. And the NC2A is great for her. And she has a great relationship with her coaches down there and everything else. But there's lots of great Canadian swimmers or swimmers from all around the world who have just disappeared in that program. And that's not the fault, I don't think, of the NC2A coaches or their programs. 
their their eyes get open to a whole aspect, other aspect of of the world. You know, mm. um, I prefer it if they don't go down there. If I'm being honest, if you want to train with me and you want to be focused on international swimming, sure. yeah. then that's your that's your path. If sure. you want to go and have a great time, be part of a team, and do all of that stuff, then go down that path. You know, um, they're not mutually exclusive, but I, I you know. Is Maggie going to travel? Is she, she going to move to LSU with her coach or is she going to stay with you? Oh, uh, you don't. No, no, no. She's going back to school. She's very educationally motivated. And I think for this year, she'll be going back to school. What she does. Oh, she in, wants to stay at Michigan then. You, you'd have to chat to her. But right. she's definitely educationally motivated. And I'm sure in the line in the future, uh, you know, our paths will align again at some point. But right. um, the door's always open for her, for sure. She was fabulous. She's so funny. She's someone who you you might not think is is funny. She's legitimately hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had an interview with her, and she was a little stiff about a year ago, but I, I get the feeling she's loosened up in terms of her the way she speaks with the media and things like that. But well, um, I, could, I could see how she'd come across on an interview maybe a bit like that, but I'm just telling you on a daily basis yeah. there's – if you ever hear a laugh, it's one of the most distinctive things you'll ever, you'll never forget it. You'll, you'll think you're getting attacked by a flock of seagulls or something like, but um, no, she's great fun and, and fabulous swimmer and Olympic champion for the rest of her life. How awesome is oh, that? Absolutely, mate. I say the same thing to anybody. Look, look you, you know, anyone that's won Olympics, you're an Olympic champion for the rest of your life. doesn't matter what you do from here on out. You know, it's, it's all gravy from there, but um are you happy in Canada? Are you set? Do you do you look at, you know, what's your dream job? Is this your dream job or is there something else beyond this? Uh, well, I don't, I don't think I even think about what a dream job is. You know, I love living in Canada. Canada is an awesome place to live. It's, right. it's, it's safe. It's friendly. It's clean. My, my family love it there. Um, I'm looked after well by Swimming Canada. So we'll see what's in, in store down the line. I mean, I've been there now nine, nine years, coming up on 10 years, nine years, mm. 10 years. That's a long time to be away from family, away from friends. My wife is actually French. So there's quite a big European connection for our family. So, I mean, things are coming up all the time and, and, and I have discussions with people all the time, but at the moment I'm, I'm happy in Canada and I, I like where I live and my family is enjoying learning English and, and everything that comes with that. So who knows what the future brings, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, certainly happy there now. Canada's an awesome place to live. It sounds like you're doing a little bit of a tour. So you're doing the ISL and you're going up to um, Iceland. You're doing some talks here and there. How how much time away from Canada are you having? Like in terms of your program running up and running, what's the story there? Well, most of the athletes who are in our program are going to be in or, or around ISL right. or taking a you know, bit of an extended break mm -hmm. or um, – or new kids who are coming into the program, they'll they'll just start back. We start our, our season quite slowly in terms of the number of workouts that we do and the focus that we have. We have focus a bit more on land work for those first six weeks or so than we do swimming. And um, so I'm not really missing very much at all. The program hasn't started back yet. And, and right. when it does, like I say, I've got Ryan Mallette back there who will run things really, really well. And Johnny Fuller and Elton, who, who are some of the support staff we have, who will 
we'll keep things going. So I'll actually be back within about a week and a half of when the program starts up again. But most of our better, let's say better, more established athletes um, won't be around in the program for a little bit. Anyway, I'm not going to the ISL for long. I think the ISL is awesome. I think it's a great concept. I think it's great for these for these athletes to be able to to, to race more than anything else and make mm. money. And yeah, I'm traveling a lot this 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 little bit of time but you've got to remember the last 18 months i haven't left toronto and i and i don't mean you know we haven't even gone to us brett we raced once mm. in the 16 months leading up to the once and that was in our own pool that we trade in every day we never swam in a different swimming pool we never walked through a different door mm. than the one that we were in the entire time that's tough yeah. When you're coming off four months of no swimming, which is what Canadians had to do, which I think is as you know as rough a, a rougher deal as anyone in the world, and we raced once. Mm. What we did there, I mean, I have to sit down and, and look back and, and see well what advantage actually came from that. And I'd sell advantages to the swimmers about all of those things mm. going into the Olympics. I'm not sure I believed them. I was just sort of selling the story to sure. get them pumped up and get going. But um so, yeah, I'm traveling around a little bit now. I haven't had a break yet. I am tired talking to you and umping that. I'm not saying we need to cut it short. I'm just saying it and umping it. And, um, but man, I was, uh, you know, I was stuck in the same place for, for a long, long, long time. And, and for, you think about elite swimming, elite swimming's hard. You know, the things that really help kids love the sport at the, at the top end is, is training camps, is, you know, the pro series meets the mare nostrum. I mean, the mare nostrum is just like heaven on earth, fast mm. swimming in Love great nations, the it. sun shining. Oh man, give me that every day of the week. Yeah. And so those things are the lifeblood of motivation for a lot of kids, not motivating in terms of, you know, I want to win a gold medal or I want to break a record or I want to be in a final, but in terms of enjoying the, the process, enjoying the, let's just use the word grind that swimming, that swimming is for a lot of people. And when you take that away for a period of time mentally, mm. I mean, that's, that's a challenge. We, we didn't travel. We didn't race. We didn't swim in a different pool for a long time. And um, I think the athletes deserve a, a huge amount of credit for, for how they did in, in Tokyo with that, you know? Yeah, for sure. There are athletes that want to be, Penny Alexiak, for instance, and they're going to study her and they're going to look at her and see the things that she does. But there are coaches that want to be Ben Tidley, you know. So what can you tell us about your day-to-day -day or, or, you know, people that want to aspire to being you? What are the what are the things they probably need to do? What are the, what are the pitfalls they need to look out for? Because like you said, it's a tough gig, man. It's a really tough gig. But you're doing things, you're doing certain things well, and then obviously you're trying to avoid things that can get you, you know, put you, put you in a hole, for instance, you know, where you just bury yourself. So where's the balance? Talk to us about that. Well, I'm not sure I've, I'm not sure I've, I'm not sure I've got it yet, to be honest with you, Brett. Like I said, I, there was a period about <clears throat> two years ago when I was thinking, man, I need a break once, mm. you know, in 2019 and when the Olympics was going to be in 20, I'm like post, Post 2020, I've got to have a break, man. I've yeah. got to, i got to chill out. I've got to get some balance to my life, you know. Like I've been divorced before. We spoke about that off air before, and and um, got a great wife now, and everything else, and couldn't be happier. But swimming coaching is hard, and I think I did a talk once at 
maybe a world coaches clinic or an ASCA clinic or a FEMA mm. clinic. I can't remember. But the title of the talk was, if your dream is to coach an Olympic champion, get a better dream. Because once that comes and goes, and I've been fortunate now, I guess, to do it a couple of times. Once that comes and goes, you're back to normal life. You're back to the grind. You're back to who's next, what's next. Mm -hmm. And I think us as swim coaches never take enough time to enjoy, at least I don't. And maybe there's part of that which which makes the best coaches the best coaches, that they're mm -hmm. on to the next thing, that they're focused on what's happening next. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not a healthy way to live, and you've got to find that balance. And again, going back in the day when I was coaching a Gibbo or a Mel, a lot of my principles would be the same, but the way I interacted with people, I'll use this example, that I know there's still some some coaches who do this now that I always used to back in the day. And since we're sports, you know, speaking about James, I'll, I'll stick with him because he was a wild. He was a wild man as a swimmer. Great guy, mm -hmm. but wild man that. Um, because success came quite quickly for him, too, and it came late. You know, he was doing a bit of track and field and this and that. And then he literally went from, I think, being 41st at, at summer nationals one year. Mm. Um to being like top three in the world or something in a 50 breast two years later. I can't remember the exact stat, but it was mind blowing. It went from a 110 under breast to a 60 point in like three years, but not from the age of 14 to 18, from the age of 19 to 22. And, um, you know, if I was looking at it from the outside, I'd be like, geez, those guys, they're, they're on drugs, they're cheating. Mate, we had a four lane, 25 yard pool asbestos ridden that was built in the 1930s. We're about as far from drugs as you could possibly found and um, um but anyway going back then i always used to arrange camps down to actually further south than here down to grand canaria down to tenerife over christmas down over to florida over christmas and new year and my rationale for doing it was because i didn't want these guys going out on the on the piss you know and, and coming back fat and out of shape and yeah injured from falling off a moped or whatever pissing around young people do and probably should do to be honest you know go have a great time but mm -hmm. you've got to be careful when you have things that you're really good at doing so um so i used to organize training camps for those periods of time and it was only with age and again experience that i started to realize well do you know what we ask so much of these young people you know we've just spent five weeks away with a holding camp and the olympics and everything else if they come away to mare nostrum it's two to three weeks away with a training camp if they go to pro series it's weekends away from their family they miss birthdays they miss whatever it might be that we ask so much of the these young people in their lives so many sacrifices that we we don't even really ask them it's like right you're going to be an elite swimmer this is the program this is what we're doing away we go that pushing them over that Christmas, New Year period, times where normal human beings, if they can, if they're fortunate enough to, are able to spend time with their loved ones, with their friends, with their family. It doesn't mean they have to do things wrong. But back in the day, I used to try to control that to, to keep people in shape, which worked, but it also gets, you know, stale, tired, pisses people off after a while. And I think as time's gone on, I've realized that periods like that let them go home. Let them swim with their home. I'm not sending you workout, not because I'm lazy. Geez, I'll write a million workouts a day if I, I do most of the time. In fact, on a Saturday, I literally write 14 workouts in a 30-minute slot. I'll tell you about that after if you want. Mm. But um, it's like my challenge for the week. But, but giving those kids time to go home, swim with home programs, or not swim. I'd prefer you did. 
But if you really didn't want to and you wanted to spend time with your family, go back and you'll everything will be okay. Give us two, three weeks in January. We'll all be good. You know what I mean? And you actually get back way more from giving those kids, I say kids, some of them are in their mid-20s, from giving those young people that freedom to almost make their own decisions, but also time to be a normal human being. That for me is something which, you know, my focus is always on the major meet in the summer. It's not about the trials. The trials be good enough to make the team. It's a box ticking exercise, you know, different in the US. I get that far more competitive, but for our best kids, get through the trials with as little stress, as little mental preparation, as little taper as possible so that you'll be ready to go when the summer comes. And by giving that little break around that, you know, new year type time, let's say, I don't know. I think you get more back than you lose from training through that now. But that wasn't always the case. That took me time to get to that understanding. And mm. uh, I don't even know how we got onto that topic. But. Well, listen, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. You're so open. I think you're awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm really learning a lot about you and uh, gaining a lot of respect uh, for the respect I already had. But um, brilliant, mate. I, I really appreciate this. Thank you. You know, sitting in your hotel room there in in spain and just uh just chatting it's you know it's like almost 10 30 at night for you so um, again much appreciated so you did bring up the fact of how you write workouts it's fascinating to me in terms of just the, the workout structure but uh talk to me about your how how do you actually write workouts geez they're confusing if i was to show you a workout you wouldn't get it you, you'd, you'd see more brackets and arrows and this person, that person than you could do. Well, yeah, you, you're coaching from 50 all the way up to 800, basically. Right this, now. How's, how's this for a stat? For this Olympics, not that people swam all of these events, because, again, you got to pick and choose. But, um, yeah, our program, we qualified people in 50, mm -hmm. 100, 200, 400, 800, 1500 meter events. Mm -hmm. We didn't do we didn't do open water, mate. That's a step too far for me. <laughs> Um, but in every distance, and we qualified, again, qualified, not necessarily swam because you pick and choose, but we qualified athletes to swim in fly, back, breast, free, and IM. Wow. Now, and we came back with 15 medals for the group. I don't know of any programs in the world, and maybe there is one, who at one games have qualified athletes to do every single distance and to qualify in every single stroke and to still come back with with that many medals so that's wild, man. it's wild yeah that is we were pretty proud of that one you know in, yeah. in the scheme of things and we had some misses we had four fourths at the olympics like that's soul destroying yeah but but you got to sometimes sit back and, and it comes back to our thing about you know how do you keep going when it's year after year after year after year and you got to sometimes try to enjoy some of those bits a little bit um when it comes to the structure of the workout it would, be, it would have to be another podcast for me to explain to you how we go through a weekly cycle and everything else. But the reality is now, so I used to do 10 sessions a week and, um, you know, back in, in, in the Gibbo days, we'd be doing 10 sessions a week in Tancox and those guys, Fran Halsalls, double, double, single, double, double, single, fairly mm -hmm. traditional model. And um, I don't know, around the jaunty time and around the time where I, I think people now train a bit smarter. I think we train just as hard. I actually think I train harder now than I ever have before. But we dropped it to nine sessions, so double, single, double, single, double, single. Mm -hmm. um, again, if you delve into my psychology of the 
rule of three. That's always three workouts on and then a session off. Three. You're never, you're never far away from an afternoon off. Right. And I think mentally that makes a big difference to some kids. It certainly has meant we can do more quality than we've done before. Um, but it pretty much means actually, Brett, that by Friday, and that's after eight workouts, I'm I'm happy with what we've done. Like mm. if I had, if I had big enough cojones, I'd say let's have Saturday Sunday off, and we do do early season. We don't swim weekends for the first six weeks. Coming back to that philosophy that I had about the, over New Year, I let the kids go home for for long weekends and and everything else, and let them be normal. And I think you you get that back in the June, you know, the men Ostrom and the World Champs or Olympics or Commonwealth Games. You get it back later on. This year is going to be tricky with that because the the years totally screwed with you know if people are doing isls that goes into world cups that goes into world short course that then for say canada goes into a trials in april into a worlds in may into a commonwealth games in july it's 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 cluttered and i think we have to find a way to declutter it as coaches and you've mm -hmm. got to, you got something has to give but anyway going back to the weekly template that we'd go through the week now what my general normal week and i'm not including the first six weeks of a cycle i'm not including the couple of weeks over christmas new year i'm not including transition weeks when we go to a pro series or to a mare nostrum i'm not including the the taper weeks which are different again but the main blocks of work whether it be a three-week block or a two-week block or a four-week block it's usually three um I'll get done through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll get done everything that I want to get done in the week. Saturday is almost the bonus day. Mm. And it will mean that what I've ten what I've done this last two years is um I'll write, let's say, a 20-minute warm-up. Right. And we'll go through some bit of speed and some technique and everything else. I'll then write a 40-minute, usually kick or kick swim type set. And what happens is the athletes know that when they come in. You know, they'll do the pre-pool for 30 minutes or a circuit. So it's probably about 40 minutes before we get in. And they'll swim the 20-minute warm-up. And at the end of the 20-minute warm-up, I'll go along all the athletes and say, you know, pick someone. Josh Leando, what are, what can you do great today? Mm -hmm. What are you capable of? It might be some more race pace. It might be starts with weights belts or fins or socks or underwater work. It might be, you know, Penny Alexiak. Penny, what can you do? Oh, I think a bit of easy technique and a few bursts. Like I could write pennies before we even came in. <laughs> but again, she's done in the week what I need slash want her to do. So what I will then do whilst they're doing the 40-minute kick set, Coach Ryan will look after the athletes, call out the times, and they kick fast, and they do whatever they need to do. And I have these two massive whiteboards, long, you know, eight-foot whiteboards, side by side like this. And um, I have 40 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes to then write 14 different or however many workouts. It's probably why my favorite year of coaching was 2018 when we only had three or four kids. But <laughs> um, 14 different workouts based on what that athlete said, you know, whatever Kylie Ma says, she thinks she'll do great on today. It might be an easy workout. That's OK. Um, I write those 14 workouts. And it's not just about, and again, if you speak to coaches who've been on deck with me and seen my workouts, it's not just the quality of the work. It's the fact that everybody, it's all time. It's not OCD, but it's as close as you're going to get. Everything takes the same time. So Jeez. if the set is 40 minutes, all 14 sessions will take 40 minutes so that then we can all swim down together. 
And again, the psychology of that is that swimming is quite an individual sport, but if they can finish the week off knowing they've done everything that they wanted to do and they mm -hmm. thought they could do well, but then they get to swim down together, like it's the best way to finish a week rather than someone gets out here, there, everywhere. And so someone like a Summer McIntosh, actually she doesn't get a choice. I have a rule that you have to be over 16 before you get a choice in what you do in training. So she isn't allowed to choose. So she'll have a, a big distance, you know, something, something, you know, five, eight hundred, the two hundred backstroke recovery or four fifteen hundreds, three moderate one or three holding one tens, one as fast as you can go or whatever it may be. But her set will take the same time as everybody else's. She might do less of the kick set, but she doesn't get a choice, unfortunately, for another 362 days. So, um, uh, but How yeah. do you manage 14 workouts though? Maybe it's, it, it's, it's, I'm sweating. By the end, I'm sweating. I bet. But that's when someone like a Gibbo says, you know, he writes creative or he writes good workouts. Yeah. I don't know. That's my challenge on a Saturday. And I actually quite like it. It means I don't have to spend time on a Friday night writing a workout. I now have a whiteboard in my basement. And that's where I do write a lot of my workouts when I get home and stuff. A beautiful like mind. He's just up there. If you've seen the workouts, I could probably try and find on my phone. But the. Mate, um, someone needs to go Instagram live of you 40 minutes out, just sitting there in front of the whiteboards and then just seeing you like write it yeah. out. I mean, that would be epic. Let's see if I can find one and show you a thing. Here. You got to, you got to, um, you, you got to get a photo of that. You don't have Instagram, hey? Well, here's the thing, mate. I don't do any of that jazz. No, any, um, I don't have any social media. Someone asked me about that today, why I don't. And my, answer was that uh, um uh, yeah, yeah it's great to, it's great well no i do I, I it's not hard to write a picture hold on mate i'm just going to see if i can show you this so yeah, put that up to the camera so this is two two whiteboards so if you can see that yeah just hold uh, it there for a second it'll, it'll zoom in all right well i mean we can we can see the idea behind it but we can't right? see exactly what's written and there's the other one oh. so all of that is written in 40 minutes and it all tail 30 minutes and they all take the exact same amount of time. Mate, so you that, send that to me and I put that on my Instagram, that thing will I think will blow up. So anyway, the reason I don't have, and that's, you know, Penny contacting me saying, Brett's trying to get older here. And I'm like, well, we'll have to try a bit harder because I ain't doing anything. Like it, I get why social media and everything is, is good I for do. young people. They communicate that way a lot now. You know, it's a big part of their lives. But I ain't. I'm not 14, 15, 16, 20-year-old person. I, I have my friends. I know who they are. I know how to get hold of them. I've got my family. I know how to get hold of them. I know where they are. Anything, you know, I see 10 times more problem with, you know, mental health now is a big thing that gets banded around, I think, a little bit too much. You know, if you're stressed, maybe people have been stressed for thousands of years. Do you know what I mean? But the whole social media thing definitely doesn't help in no. terms of people's expectations and everything else. And, you know, using an example of, say, a, I don't know if they're a rival of yours or what, mate, but let's say a swim swam. I think swim swam is awesome for the swimming community. And, uh, and, uh, ah, oh, geez, what's the guy's name? Begins with a B. Bread. Uh, Brayden. Braden, right? I mean, the guy deserves a medal. He deserves an Olympic medal for what he's done for swimming, for helping things out, right? And I love reading the articles about the rest of the world. But if I ever see an article about me or an athlete that I coach or a situation that I might be loosely involved with, mm. I don't read it. I don't even, you know, forget the comments, which I do read on other stories because it's pretty funny to read. 
I don't even read the story that's about me or one of my swimmers or an interview I've done or what person someone thinks about the events that one of my kids is going to do or is done or something's happened. And the reason I don't is because nothing good's going to come out of that. I know the real story. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that the layers behind whatever decision or story or, or, you know, thing that's taken place. And so even if I was just to read, you know, a comment, Mm -hmm. that maybe was negative about a, an athlete or negative about a program or negative about me even oh. from someone who doesn't know me or doesn't know them or doesn't know the situation. It's going to stick in my head as much as I wouldn't, you know, excuse my French, wouldn't give a shit. Yep. It, it would stick in there somewhere. Well, why even let, why even let that in? Live mm -hmm. your life, be happy, go out, eat some tapas, eat a, you know, drink a cerveza and, 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 and do the best for the people that you're around every day. And that's the main reason I, I don't have social media. I don't even have Facebook. I mean, I have a Facebook couldn't tell you me passwords. I ain't been on it for like 13 years. You know, I don't have a Facebook. I don't have an Instagram. I don't have a Twitter. Um, I'm sure it'd be interesting if I did, I'm sure people would be interested in the workouts that I'd put, but, but for what, you know, like I don't want anything in my head. That's not my life. And right, right now, I try to enjoy my life and my friends and my family and my job and my coaching the best way I can. And the healthiest way for me to do that is to not be on social media, mate. So right. it's just yeah. makes perfect sense, mate. And, um, you know, n would never try and lure you into it. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. You, you're having tremendous success personally, professionally. Hey, listen, and then what would I... These can you imagine all the modeling contracts that would come my way, mate? If if this oh, mate, face yeah. was out there a little bit yeah. more, if they saw that face on social media, mate, just uh, yeah, no, it would be you stupid. You're right. <laughs> uh, listen, mate, I've, I've appreciated this. We've we've got enough from you. You've been brilliant. You've been open as anybody's uh, has ever been on this program. Um, I'm very thankful that you agreed to do it live. I don't know why we did it live, but there's a bunch of people you know, commenting and they're loving it too. So, um, mate, it's been fantastic. I've really, really enjoyed this. So thanks very much. Mate, anytime, anytime. And if you've got any other questions you want to do, mate, I'm not bothered. You can ask me another one. I don't have to go now. But uh, I mean, I'm sure there's like, let's go to the, let's go to the audience. All right. Audience, you've got two minutes, put some questions up for Ben. You got two minutes, hurry up, get them out there. You're on there live. Fred Renu, David Marsh, I know you're all listening. James Gibson, you're on there. Come on, give us some questions here. Let's go. You got two minutes. Ben, are you from Yorkshire? That's one of the questions. No one this good looking comes out of Yorkshire. So, no. I was born in Cambridgeshire, if you want to be real specific. Then I moved to Suffolk when I was four. And then I moved to Cheshire when I was eight. I lived in Cheshire till I was 18, 19. Then I lived in Leicestershire in Loughborough for 16 years. And now I've lived in Ontario, Toronto for 10 years. So that's my journey. Yorkshire has never been included in that journey. What about Beautiful. this, mate? What about this? They're, they've got the Olympics in Brisbane in, in um, 20, uh, what, 20, 2032. So mm -hmm. about 10 years from now. Any interest to go down to Australia and work with the Aussies? Um, I mean, I like the Australians, you know, I, I couldn't deal with them for, for too long, probably, but I, I like them. They're funny. Um, mate, listen, from, from my perspective, I've had lots of opportunities to go to Australia as early right. back as 2006. Right. Um, 
I was asked to go down there. And, and even this year, I had, had calls from recruiters, not from Australian swimming, but from, from you know, places in Australia that were interested in knowing. Uh, at some point, I'm sure um, that might be an option. Um, Australia doesn't need a huge amount of help with its coaching. It's doing great enough as it is. You know, they've got some some truly world-class people down there. I mean, I think the fortunate thing for me is that, and it's fairly unique, I think, in the world of coaching, that contrary to your, you know, understanding that I was quiet and reserved and didn't share stuff, that my, uh, I think I'm one of the most chatty, friendly people. I probably know more swimming coaches on the poolside than anyone in the world because... Yeah, I screwed that one up. Sorry, mate. Yeah, you did, mate. That's all right. Um, that... Um, that, you know, I've been this since I was 20. I think my first Commonwealth Games, I was 21 on a staff. My first head coach role as a national team, I was 22. And um, and I did it by being in England. You've obviously got all of the European countries uh, and the Commonwealth countries. So that ticks a lot of boxes. So I had that for a long period of time. Coming to Canada, you then get the whole US situation you also get South America with the Pan Am Games, the Pan Packs or whatever, Pan Am Games, Pan Packs. I think it's those two. I get confused between the two. But anyway, you get all of that as well as still the Commonwealth stuff. So other than maybe China, I don't think there's a, a country in the world whose coaches I haven't been around for the last mm. 20 years. And, and I don't think there's anyone else who's really gone that not that I've only had been two places. I've only worked in Loughborough and Toronto. That's it. I've had right. two gigs. But but because I've always been on the team and always had somewhat success with kids winning medals at all the meets, that, you know, you, you're around all of these different coaches and different programs and, and, and everything else. And so I think I probably know more about coaching in most countries, whether that's Australia or Canada or mm -hmm. the U.S. or Europe. Mm. You know, I go and play. There's a game called Paddle. If you've ever played Paddle in in Europe, it's awesome. It's the best. It's like on a tennis, a smaller size tennis court, but with walls around it, like a squash court. Like mm. I've gone and played that with the Italian coaches when I've been at the Seti Colli once before, and right. just gone off. They've taken me to some private members club, and we just played, played that, and 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 stuff like that, you know. So the world of coaching is a, is a relatively small world, mm -hmm. sure. um, particularly at the top level, and I feel very fortunate that you know, Australians and, and everything else of that I'm friends with and chat to, and I can chat to a, to a Bowley or a Dean Boxall or a Chris Nesbitt down there from his time in the UK, whoever it might be, you know, yeah. um, going back in the day, your Shannons and your, and your Stefans and all of those guys. So yeah, Australia mate. the only thing with Australia is one, it's full of Australians. And I say that in jest, which is, you know, which is you know, amazing, but uh, yeah, which is amazing. But, mate, it's a long way away from everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's the and, tough part. Uh, so family considerations, we'll have to see how that one plays out. I definitely wouldn't rule it out. It's an or any time I was sweet, and we used to go down there for six weeks at a time for right. training camps, you know, and right. with all the meets that have been down there with Commonwealths and a few times and world champs and, and everything else. been Australia a lot. I love Australia. It's a, There's no better place for swimming in the world, in my opinion. Right. Um, it's just a bloody long way away from everything. It is a long way. That's why I'm not back there right now. But um, listen, I tried to get your, your number off Penny and respect to her. She wouldn't give it to me. So good girl. Good girl. Well, um, I, I got your number from um, Brent Hayden. He, he gave it to me. So um, 
Is there any, it sounds like Brent Hayden's coach is going to retire here. So is there any chance that you may take up the coaching of Brent Hayden? That's not anything that's ever been discussed, to be honest with you. I mean, Brent was great on the team. He's he's really good for those younger athletes, for a Josh and and people like that. And man, he's got a ton of respect for you, by the way. Loves you. Couldn't well, he's a, he's a, well, he's obviously got a great judge of character there, as well as being extremely good looking. <laughs> so uh, and fast for a thirty-seven year old dude, mate. Yeah. The, tell you what, the way he was with that boys' relay, mm. and you think. Well, four, six, maybe six weeks before the Olympics, our men's freestyle relay after Europeans wasn't at the Olympics. We mm. weren't in those boys had to stand up in a time trial, not even at our trials, at a time trial before the trials. Mm. None of them were shaved. Actually, I think Brent did, but like uh, most of the others weren't. And they stepped up and qualified for the meet. Then they stepped up and qualified to make the final. Mm. And as you know, in sprint events, man, sometimes being in that lane one and lane eight is a huge advantage. And it was for us. Brent dived in, had a great first leg, and, and the boys just ripped it from there. Yuri, who, who swam with this this last couple of years, you know, 47-1 split. I think he was the fourth fastest split on the team. Young Josh, mm -hmm. 47-5. Marcus on the back end. And man, with 20, 20 meters to go, they were in third place. Now, Kyle Chalmers is uh, is a machine, you know. Well done to him for for coming past and getting a straighter up into the medals. But with twenty five, if you told me six weeks to go that we'd be in third place after three hundred and seventy five meters of a men's four by one hundred freestyle relay, mm. I would have tell you you had some serious mental problems. Do you know what I mean? And um, full credit to those boys and Brent Brent leading off in in forty seven nine nine, I believe. I mean, that's just, um, that's unbelievable swimming. And what that does, you know, for everyone else then in the relay is is outstanding. So um, it's never, to answer your question, that's never been discussed. I can't see it ever really being discussed, but 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 Brent's, Brent's great, you know? Right, yeah. Is it hard for you to coach against Great Britain? No. I, I, again, it's going to sound a bit weird. I don't really feel like I'm ever coaching against anybody else. I, I used to have that mentality back in the day. Let's say when I coached Mel, you know, it was very much, we're going to beat this person. You're going to do it, slam that med ball, pretend that's that person's head. But I think that has a shelf life. I think that, you know, that only works for a little bit, but once mm. that person either can't beat that person or, the same message comes the same way with that same, not aggressive intensity, but I just think that that it has a sell by date, you know? And yeah. um, so my philosophy now, for sure, we want to beat people and we'll think about the rivals and how they might swim a race and more how we could use them in mm -hmm. a race. Mm -hmm. But um, it's always about the person. It's about the person being in their best shape, in their mental headspace, in a place where they're excited about the opportunities at the meet mm. instead of stressed about the repercussions of what might happen if they don't do well right. and and those two things are i think it you know they're very very different and, and it's important to focus more on yourself and and the process and yes you have goals of maybe trying to win medals or to beat the person but i don't think that really comes up that much in a conversation it would be more a case of you know let's say when maggie and and, and kylie are doing sets together you know did you wake up this morning and get out of bed and say to yourself, I am the world's greatest butterfly swimmer. Did you get out of bed this morning and say, I'm the world's best person 
who's a female for swimming on their back? Did you get out of bed and say that this morning? Did you think it? Because when I got out of bed, that's what I thought about you. I thought, I can't wait to get to work and help this person be the best. You don't have to mention a Kaylee McKeon or a Reagan Smith or, a, you know, any of the other truly world-class performers that are out there. Again, that becomes stale, I think. And maybe I'm wrong. But again, I've made a lot of mistakes over the years and I've been fortunate enough to have good athletes who overcome it a lot of the time. And um, that's just where I'm at with it now. Speak to me again in 10 years time and maybe my viewpoint will be different again. But um, yeah. But listen, mate, how good has Mel Marshall done? I did an interview with her and it was one of the best. I mean, so I learned so much just from talking to her in an hour. I mean, how good has that girl done? Jeez. Done great. Done great. And I, and I mean, it's got to make you proud, Penny's right? 100% it does. And, and But, you know, we, we talk about Penny having difficult times and challenges. Jeez, Mel Marshall is probably the most challenging person. In fact, geez, I feel bad. You feel bad. I didn't get back to you. I've just realized I haven't texted Mel back. She texted me about four days ago asking how I was doing. I think she's in America on holiday. And uh, I haven't got back to her. So, Mel, if you're watching, I apologize. I'm going to text you back as soon as I get off this podcast. Um, couldn't be more proud, mate. I mean, she was difficult as a swimmer. I was difficult as a coach. So this ain't me throwing stones, you know what I mean? Glass mm -hmm. houses and all that. But um, very, very proud of her. What she's done with Adam... And it's not always been smooth sailing. Do you know what I mean? And there's a lot of pressure when you're the person who, who people expect results from. I've had it for 20 years and it's hard. You know, even as a 24, 23, 24 year old, when Gibbo won world champs when I was his coach. And you mentioned 28 years before, you know, since Britain had won a world, yeah. world title at the time. And you're trying to change a culture, you know. Now British women's going gangbusters, you know, but... It wasn't the case back then. It was people like me and Dave McNulty and Sean Kelly and Fred and whoever who had to try to change that. And um, seeing Mel now and being able to give Mel advice, like we spoke the day after the swimming before we both flew flew home to our different places. We met in casual dining in the uh, in the village and we chatted for probably an hour, an hour and a half about the future and and challenges and. Stuff like that. And I couldn't be more proud of Mel. I mean, the work she does with Adam, again, it ain't easy. Getting to the top is easier than staying at the top. Mm. And, um, Adam PT, again, with my joke with the James Guy situation, Adam Adam PT staying at the top for as long as he has is full, yeah. test full testament to him, full testament to Mel and, and his belief in Mel. Like that's, mm. the, that's probably the biggest thing in coaching. There's many different ways. I could give yeah. you all that we just spoke about before would be irrelevant for someone to, and that's why I don't mind sharing because yeah. unless you can sell it the same way I can, I agree. Unless you can understand it, unless you can believe it, unless mm -hmm. the athlete is like, wow, this guy truly believes this is going to get me better. Then I'm, I'm in. Yeah. As soon as you lose that trust in the coach, belief in the coach, commitment in the coach, you, you are better off swimming elsewhere. And that's, yeah. and sometimes that is just a process of time yeah. and it's not anyone's fault. You know, it might be like a marriage. It might be like a friendship. It might be like a car that it's a great car, but at some point you need to get a new one. Yeah. And um, I think Mel with Adam's done a, a fabulous job. You know, she's been coaching him since he was just a wee nipper. I remember way back when I was in Britain and it was a, they had this meet called an inter-counties meet. And there was another male breaststroker, I won't mention his name, who's still, you know, around the international scene. And they raced head-to-head, -head, I think. And the other guy beat Adam. 
and Adam was really raw back in the day. You're probably talking Adam was about 15 at the time because he, he came to Loughborough and did some work with us on, say, starts and turns. Man, he starts it's getting better, but geez, it ain't flash. And uh, so I'm not taking any credit whatsoever for Adam Beatty. But I remember, I remember calling Mel from Ponds Forge and saying, Mel, your boy's just got beat by this other kid, but your boy is the one that's going to do it. Like there was, you could just see it. You could see it in the way that he swung. And um, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of, of him and her for, for what they've achieved. And it's great to see her now as well, getting success with, with, uh, with other athletes, you know, a lot of the time as, as coaches and I had a conversation with a coach just yesterday who, who was chatting to me and he's from, is he from Spain? I'm not sure if he's from Spain, but anyway, he wanted to chat to me about coaching and everything else. And he's like, you know, the reason I want to chat to you is because it's a lot of coaches have a good swimmer, but he likes to look at the second swimmer or the mm. third swimmer. And with me, you you know, he was like, I could go first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and go down a list, however many deep of international kids. And I know that Mel for a while, and I hope I'm not speaking out of term here, you know, felt like, and I don't think it was true, but felt like people maybe thought that she'd done well with Adam, but she hadn't done with, you know, as well with other people. Right. But sometimes it just takes time and, and, and a great coach will find a way to get it done. And she She's done that with Luke Greenbank. She's done that now with Anna Hopkin. Uh, and there's probably other swimmers whose, whose names I, I maybe don't know as much, but there's other people as opposed to Adam. And the fact that she's got that ball rolling now will give her that confidence and that kudos, if you like, that it it wasn't just, you know, a one-trick pony with, with Adam. And, it, and there's definitely not that with Adam because, again, staying at the top for that duration of time is hard, hard for a coach, Hard for us. So I remember when Adam got beat at Commonwealth Games by uh, Cameron, I think, in the 50 breast, maybe, at Commie Games in on the Gold Coast. And I went back on the bus with Adam and we chatted. And I went for a walk with Adam back to his apartment and we chatted. And, and um, it's okay for people to get beat or to have tough times. But if you're good enough and if you're strong enough, they don't last. And, and him and Mel found a way to, to move past that. And to come back even stronger, and I think that's just you know it's the best. It's yeah, the best. I love it. And I, I love the connection. You know, any time that a swimmer has swum for me and then gone on to coach, and you know, there's there's definitely an element of pride there for sure. So uh, I'm sure you feel that for sure. So listen, mate. Again, uh, I've loved this. This has been incredible. This is officially my longest podcast. So uh, thank you yeah. for doing this, mate. Um, huge you know just we just put this together this afternoon and here we are live and here we are we've got you know a bunch of people watching us live around the world so mate uh massive thanks to you this has been awesome i'm a bigger fan than i was two hours ago so um thanks again mate no mate thank you and thank you for all you're doing for the sport of swimming you know what i mean i gave swim Sram a little shout out before but mate people like you doing what you do and 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 increasing the awareness for the sport and interest in the sport and you you clearly have a passion and a love for it you know not just as a coach and as an athlete and now a commentator to a certain extent um thank you mate yep all right great mate thanks and uh, we'll catch up again uh, down the road you know i've got three years till paris so i'm sure i'll hit you up again but um good luck with everything get some rest mate and uh, enjoy the isl all right uh, well, I'm only there for a week. I'm, I'm bouncing pretty quick. But yeah, um, yeah enjoy, the, enjoy. enjoy the hot springs in. Uh, in, in Mate, I'll enjoy that and I'll, I'll enjoy some pizza in 
mate, get this for all the, tra I've traveled more than any person I know easily. And, uh, mate, I had to fill in this European locator form before to get into Italy. And I'm looking, it's like, well, where you, you know, port of de-embarkation or whatever the word would be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm looking for Naples and I can't find freaking Naples anywhere. So I clicked other and wrote in Naples. Well, it was only chatting to the swimmers this morning. I didn't realize Naples was Napoli. Did you know Naples was Napoli? No idea, mate. Mate, I didn't either. So I look like a right dunce when I get there. They're going to be like, you know, Napoli's on the list you could have chosen. And you've done your own section and wrote in Naples. But I've heard it's got the best pizza in uh, in the world. So, man, I'm a big pizza fan. I had one last oh, yeah. night. So I'm looking forward to getting a slice of pie when I get down there. I'll tell you that. Massive, absolutely. Uh, Fred Renew in the comments section said, thanks, uh, Brett and Ben, and uh, thank you for putting this together, Fred, in encouraging us to do this uh, live. So thanks again, mate. Um, all right, take care, eh? Hey, no worries. You too. See you, mate. Cheers. So the Magic 5 Custom Swim Goggles. Now i got to tell you, I really love these things. I did the scan. I got the Magic 5 app, and I held up my phone to my face it took a scan of my face within 10 seconds it shoots it off gets processed and within a couple of weeks i get these brand new goggles that are custom fit to my face no leaks the gasket fits perfectly around my eyes i gotta tell you these things look beautiful they're they're good looking goggles they're super clear i can see out of the peripheral everything is as I would want it. Custom fit. Use code BRETHAWK20 to get 20% off your own pair of custom fit Magic 5 goggles. These things are incredible. I highly recommend them. All strokes, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly, freestyle. Perfect fit to your face. Get yourself a pair today.